Hello and welcome to episode 320 of the Fabulous Pelican Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are coming to you in different locations today. I'm in Las Vegas, Nevada. And I'm coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion Seattle Seahawks. You have the very nice hotel room pizzazz about you. <laughs> you can tell I'm glowing. I've I've got to, if I if I were walk to walk like five feet to my left, I would have a view of the stadium, Allegiant Stadium here. Oh wow, you're down at that end of the strip. I am, yes. Wow. Looking out on the New York, New York and the uh, MGM at the moment and, and the trop in the background. So we didn't record while I was in Salt Lake City because my, my room was not as nice in Salt Lake City and is a major issue of that. No hotel. room is as nice in Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City actually is surprisingly nice hotels because of the Olympics that being there. But uh, 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 the, the real issue is I had no Wi-Fi. So we could not record is initially yeah. anticipated last Mitt night. Romney demands nice rooms, but he does not demand technology. In <laughs> I, I don't know that I can blame Salt Lake City for that. I have not had the, the Wi-Fi at the arena. was perfectly great. It was just You can always blame Salt Lake hotel. City for anything. So if you were wondering what's happening in Utah, the answer was no Wi-Fi for Kevin. I like us thinking about all the different places that I know nothing about that I've insulted on this podcast. <laughs> Oh, look, ignorance has never been a reason for you not to uh, not to say something about, about another location. Uh, Missouri, Missouri, just coming at him. Coming at Missouri. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, we'll see if we get into any hashtag Pelton cast geography later in the pod. If you didn't already listen to it, which most people didn't, let's be clear. Uh, we did record Friday night while you were in Hawaii. I was in Seattle at that point about the uh, the future of the University of Washington athletic department, what conference they'll be in, and the larger makeover of conference sports in the wake of UCLA and USC leaving for the Big Ten. Uh, I assume we'll talk a little more about that in the UW football section, but uh, not as emotionally, certainly. Speak for yourself. <laughs> you Actually, we, I mean, we did without Wi-Fi get into this for like almost an hour last night. <laughs> It's the only thing I could talk about. You were all alone in your house, and the most exciting thing you could think of was to call me and talk about conference realignment. <laughs> uh, no, I wasn't all alone. Lucas stayed with me last night. Oh, uh, okay. All right, well, I, I'm afraid I don't have a beer this week because we're recording at 4.30 in the afternoon, and I'm about to go cover the two summer league games. You're the only person in Las Vegas not drinking at 4.30 in the afternoon. Fair point. You're, you're like, it's 4.30 in Vegas. However, could I have a beer? <laughs> with the players who are playing in tonight's doubleheader are not drinking at the moment. But we do have a number of toasts this week, starting with an incredible honor today for Megan Rapino, who received the Presidential Medal of Freedom from Joe Biden. Uh, when this was first announced last week, she told U.S. Soccer, I am humbled and truly honored to be chosen for this award by President Biden and feel as inspired and motivated as ever to continue this long history of fighting for the freedoms of all people. To quote Emma Lazarus, until we are all free, we are none of us free. So awesome for Rapino. Uh, also, Sue Bird was able to be in attendance today. She was missing the Storms games tonight in Los Angeles, closing out the first half of the season. Uh, which actually was a really good game to give off a 41-year-old player after a bunch of travel in the past week. But, uh, uh, I mean, obviously the highest honor you can receive is an American individual. Uh, next up, 
in, in slightly less notable honors. <laughs> Congrats to Julio Rodriguez, who was named AL Rookie of the Month for June to go along with the same award for May. Rodriguez had a 280, 361, 542 slash line in the month, hitting seven home runs and doubling his walk total from May to 10 in the month of June. You had like the, you're just making facial responses. <laughs> nodding nodding in response. People can't tell that on the pod. <laughs> it wouldn't, even if people could tell, it still wouldn't be compelling. <laughs> oh, fair point. <laughs> Since when has this pod been compelling? Uh, congrats to Brianna Stewart, who was named the WNBA Western Conference player. You should be happy June. that I'm not responding about the Presidential Medal of mm-hmm. Honor right now because you'd have to turn off the podcast again. <laughs> I, I think you agree with a lot of Megan Rapinoe's aims. I, no, I'm sure that I do. This is not about Megan Rapinoe. Uh, well, again, they chose to honor. President it's, Biden chose to honor Megan Rapinoe. It's about the response to things that happened that made us turn off the podcast and fight the last time we recorded. Uh, Brianna Stewart averaged 22 points, 7.6 rebounds, 3.2 assists in June as the storm went 7-4 and four in the month. Uh, continue our storm toast. Congrats to Jewel Lloyd, who was chosen a reserve for the WNBA All-Star Game coming up this Sunday in Chicago. Or this Saturday, I should say, in Chicago. And then, yeah, it's Sunday. Congrats to Sue Bird, who will grace the WNBA Players Edition cover of 2K23 alongside wow. her friend and fellow five-time gold medalist, Diana Taurasi. What is the 2K Players Edition? It, so they've got different covers, basically. Uh, it's like the kind of like I was going to say like the regional covers of Sports Illustrated, but they're all distributed differently lo- nationally. So there's the there's a Jordan cover. Devin Booker is like the current player who's on the cover. There may be some other ones. And then the Burden Tarasi one. All right. And then congrats to Lauren Jackson, whose comeback continues <laughs> with being named to a 15 player Australian Opal squad for pre-World Cup exhibitions against the candidate national team later this month in New York. Uh, their website does not indicate when these games were, and I didn't get around to looking on the Canada Team Canada website on this. I'm not sure if they're happening this weekend against the All-Star game or what, what exactly the situation is if, if players are leaving their WNBA teams because this roster also includes the Storms, Ezzie Megbegor and Stephanie Talbot, as well as Storm draft pick Jade Melbourne and UW product Sammy Whitcomb, a naturalized wow. Aussie. There we go. Let's just say there's a little bit of chatter that's happening, right? As he's <laughs> like, let's let's run it back. <laughs> I know that you played on the team like a decade before I was here, but. Oh, when Ezzy was, was but a child. LJ will be like, what's the, what's the weather like in Seattle? Ezzy will be like, it finally got sunny. Oh, Maybe you want to come go. visit for a while. It's winter in Australia, right? I, that, that is correct. Yes. Wow. That is the first correct fact you have said on this podcast. <laughs> Uh, Storm also named a finalist for the best humanitarian team at the SB Awards to be held on July 20th. I gotta say, is LJ in Sydney? Uh, she is in Canberra, I believe, outside of there. You, you're looking up the weather in Canberra? Wow, 42 degrees right now. <laughs> a high what... of 53. I don't know whether that's Celsius or not. I'm, <laughs> I'm, it I'm assuming it's not Celsius. That seems like it would be very hot. <laughs> I gotta be, say, I would have some terrific global warming concerns. Like that, that thir- I don't. thirty to fifty-five right now in Canberra. I mean, come on! Wouldn't you rather be in Seattle right now? It's well, the only time you would. Is a reminder. Yes, it's true. It's the only time I'd rather be in Seattle, and that's why I spend this week in Las Vegas uh-huh. every year. 
is a reminder the storm cannot sign Lauren Jackson until the final, I believe, three days of the regular season. So that would be something like August 12th. What is what is it's not gonna be nice in Seattle in August? It's the best time of the year in Seattle. I mean, the storm won't be in, in in Seattle at that point. They will she would then become eligible for the playoffs, which would be a nice time of the year to be in Seattle. It's true. So what why can they not again? Uh, because adding Tina Charles is guaranteed salary for the remainder of the season. They filled that kind of salary slot. And then they do have enough to add a 12th, but not until the very end of the year. And only if they don't have any more hardship exceptions the rest of the way. Well, we have mark, no, mark your calendars. Yes. We have no, uh, no search for Seattle's best barbecue this week, sadly, because you were out of town and then I'm out of town. You still have to get to the uh, C Davis central Texas barbecue and check that out and report back to us on that. I did. I was, I, I considered going to get barbecue in Salt Lake city because there's actually a pretty good spot there that I went the last time I was there, but uh, never made it out there. Did manage to get, by the way, if we're on briefly on uh, food in other cities, not as long as next week when I have my Vegas report, but uh, the fried chicken sandwich at pretty bird in Salt Lake city had come highly, highly uh, advertised and lived up to the hype. I would say it's in the same ballpark as the Mono chicken sandwich kind of similar in that they're both very large chicken breasts breaded and kind of spiced in similar ways. Theirs is more specifically trying to be hot chicken. I went okay. with the mild just to be safe uh, my first time, but, but quite flavorful and quite delicious. This is Utah style hot chicken that we're talking about right now. <laughs> I don't know if I would just specifically call it Utah style. <laughs> Home of the jazz. <laughs> uh, well, quick NBA Seattle update sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci pizza. This is kind of old news now because of the timing of when we recorded podcasts, but uh, announced last week that the Clippers and Portland Trailblazers will play a preseason game at Climate Pledge Arena on Monday, October 3rd. First NBA basketball game at the new arena with the Clippers and uh, Steve Ballmer playing host. Can, can I take an alternative view of this rather than positive? Oh, good, good. You, That's what the took, world is looking for. <laughs> you never take a, an alternative non-positive view on things. Like, why are we caring about this? I'm sorry, but bring a fucking team back to Seattle. One preseason game is like, I can travel to Portland. It's not that hard. Like the idea of seeing there's already professional basketball that's happening at Climate Pledge Arena. It's not like I can be like, whoa, what would it be like to see professional basketball happen there? We have it. We had it last weekend. I'm going next weekend. So this is not exciting to me at all. Preseason games aren't exciting. I feel like I've rehearsed this. Preseason games aren't even exciting to begin with. But the idea that it's just like one random game, it's like, <laughs> really serve those people of Seattle there. This is fucking bullshit. You want to know what you want to, you could do? LA Clippers and Portland Trailblazers to serve the city of Seattle is bring another team in the league. I thought you were going to say this, move, to, move to Seattle. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know that we want to, we want to take Portland's team. I feel like that's going to be an issue. But I'm, you understand well, what I'm we saying? We the like, rivalry. Why do we need this? Are you excited about this game? Are you, do you genuinely care about this? Am I excited to go to an NBA basketball game where I don't have to drive five hours round trip to go to it? Yes. Yes, I am excited about that. Would you ever go? To, would you ever drive five hours round trip to go to a Blazers preseason game? I have done it before and will surely do it again. So okay. if I get to go see, and Damian Lillard will be the first time that he's ever played in Seattle. So that's awesome. This actually, I don't. It's not going into the record books. It doesn't count as a time he's playing in Seattle. I mean, we'll see what, what happens. This could be Kawhi Leonard's first time playing basketball since his ACL tear in the playoffs in 2020, like, which I is can't... actually a pretty big national NBA story. 
I can assure you Kawhi Leonard will not be playing in that game. Uh, I don't know. I mean, also, I've, I've also driven up to Vancouver to go to NBA preseason games. It's a well-established. Put, put teams in both of these places. I've, I'm all for it. But uh, I, the last time, the last preseason game I saw was in 2019 when the Clippers played up there against, I believe, the Kings. When you asked if, if we wanted to go to this game, I was just like, hell no. Absolutely well, not. The famous cousin Katie may be going to this game. They can have fun. There was a more positive response there. Jan decided that she would rather just go to a place just regular season game. So she's in, in your corner on this one. But the other aspect of this is... I would rather go to a Sonics game when the team comes back. I do think it is important proof of concept just to see an NBA game in the arena for the decision makers at the league. I, I mean, it's not like... You know, it's going to go from, well, they can't get a team now to on October 4th. Like, now we're going to expand. Like, like, it's not that. But that's what it looks like to see basketball here. (laughs) Done. Done. This billion dollar decision that we were going to make. We've seen basketball in the building. It is a very small step in the process to have actual NBA teams in the arena. Can't imagine what that would look like. It's just just a very small part, part of the process. That is the smallest part of the process. By the way, I guess. I don't know what the smallest part of the process is. (laughs) Us talking about it. Oh, that's yes. (laughs) My dissenting opinion on the game. (laughs) That is the smallest part of the process. Anyway, have fun watching this preseason game. I hope it's very compelling for you. I was listening to on my way back from Maui. uh, Bill Simmons was having a conversation with Brian Curtis where he was talking about the, basically like what the new reporting is, which is being on podcast and being like, I'm not saying, but <laughs> which is, which is the new reporting. Don't right? aggregate me, but. Which is, I, I think Simmons wants to be aggregated when he does this. He's like, this isn't an official report. I'm not filing this or whatever. And he was like, the one time that I did that was when I talked about the Vegas and the Seattle teams. And he said that, like he, he came back to it as if it was something that had been announced. No. He was like, there was so much going. I don't know if you heard this, but it was no. like, when he, I was just like, did I miss something? Cause he was just like, yeah, the last time I said that, he was like, I had so much source information that that's why I felt comfortable. He was like, I was so confident about it. That's, and then he was basically just like, and then all this other stuff happened as if it was like, and then this was announced. So I thought that was very interesting. I think that I get the feeling, and maybe you're hearing other other information, but just even listening to that, I get the feeling that there are very, very serious conversations happening, like to the extent that this is probably done. I I don't think that it is done, uh, especially being in Las Vegas, Nevada. I am sure I will have some interesting conversations that touch on this subject over the next week. Next week, you're going to be like, I'm not saying this, but. <laughs> I just accidentally got aggregated a couple of weeks ago because I wrote my list of free agents and just cited a Woj report on SportsCenter and linked, but I linked to it in the blurb above the Bradley Beal section and not in the Bradley Beal section because I just assumed like I've already cited it. People aren't going to take this out of context and run with it, are they? But of course they did and it acted as if I was reporting that Bradley Beal was going to resign with likely to resign with the Wizards, which obviously he did for five years. There you which, go. Uh, I, I do not wish to be aggregated under, under any circumstances. The, I saw the ESPN tweet where they just showed the grade for the Gobert trade. And it was basically like the tweet is just like, hey, <laughs> hey, Minneapolis, be pissed off about this. Every <laughs> single comment, it was just all like, I feel like there are no neutral people in there. 
Yeah, no, there's definitely no neutral. I mean, I think some Timberwolves fans, it's not quite like the Jimmy Butler F where like the Chicago fans were cheering it on. Uh, but but some Timberwolves fans are certainly on board with that. I, I, t- I told you the story, right, that I was walking out of the game the other night, the, the first night I was at Vivint Arena for the Salt Lake City Summer League, the triumphant debut of Chad Holmgren we'll, that I wrote we'll get about. We'll on ESPN. I mean, when would it get, get, get to this? Uh, and someone behind me cited me giving the Timberwolves a D for the Gobert trade. And then the person walking with them was like, yeah, but do you actually trust them? And he was like, no. I actually stand by it. Yep. That's very funny. Uh, I guess we have, to, we have to talk about Chet for a second because you were oh, in the building. You bet you were, we do. You were in the building for the rise and fall of the Chet Empire, <laughs> day one and, and day two. I, I wanted to ask you, a lot of people were talking about exciting uh, summer league debuts, performances that, that predicted what would come in their future. I want to ask you about times that you can remember, players who had very exciting summer leagues and then were terrible NBA players. Well, and this is going to be an uncomfortably close to home, the one that I immediately think of. Who is that? Markel Fultz. Oh, who had an amazing summer league and then ended up not being a good NBA player. So I don't, he didn't, he only played like three or four games because he, he ended up getting hurt in the Sixers first game in Las Vegas. He, I think, sprained an ankle. Uh, but he, remember his first game in Salt Lake City. I was at that one as well. And that was the Kevin Durant has he pull up has Jimbo? He pull, has it. he pull up Jimbo? And then I saw that Kevin Durant, like that's one of the things also ESPN social cited was Kevin Durant tweeting about Chet Holmgren's game. And I was like, oh, okay, oh God. Dude, let's oh be careful God. here. So obviously that a lot of factors went into that that we still don't know all the factors that went into that. But suffice it to say that the excitement about Markel's debut did not. I mean, the, some other ones, Dennis Smith Jr. was really awesome. Oh, yeah, I remember his that. Summer League. And I was taking victory laps because I was a big Dennis Smith Jr. fan and thought he was uh-huh. undrafted at you know, there's still time for Dennis Smith Jr. hasn't played out as yet in his. That's NBA what you're. Career. That's what you're going to say. In the same way that I compared Chet Holmgren to Sean Bradley, and you said Sean Bradley had a fine NBA I, career, a very long NBA career. <laughs> I I think that Chet Holmgren is more skilled now than Sean Bradley was <laughs> at any point during his career. Let's see. There was someone else I was thinking of. Oh, another point guard. He also ended up on the Blazers at some point. It was the point guard from Denver who had played in China, Emmanuel Mudiay. Oh, Moutier? People were so hyped on Moutier's I remember summer league. And I thought did, there was... Did not translate. I mean, I, I feel like an overwhelming number of these are guards. You don't usually get that hyped about centers in summer league, quite frankly. Like Evan Mobley was such a non-factor last year in summer league. That's what I like to see. That's what I like to see. Players being non-factors in summer league. Like, have you looked at how much summer league affects or, or predicts NBA success? There is some predictive power above and beyond like your my projection that I do for players based on their college stats. So it definitely means something like people always want to say like either the summer league is definitive or summer league is meaningless. And both of those are wrong. It means something, but not everything. And especially one thing that is random, which played in the difference between Chet's two games is your shooting, particularly on threes is highly random in in any small sample. Yeah. In in any set of two games wasn't Wendell Carter I thought people were talking about Wendell Carter like yeah people I, I remember I wrote something about him I think that was the day you got into town and in... maybe that's why I remember it because I showed up and everybody was talking about Wendell Carter it was kind of overshadowed by the Russell Westbrook Chris Paul Chris Paul trade but that was the day <laughs> I wrote about Wendell Carter if I recall correctly 
Okay, well, we love to see it. We love to see it. One way or another. Again, I just want Chet to be newsworthy. <laughs> he definitely was was newsworthy on, on Tuesday night. Uh, I, again, I wrote about it. And uh, one of the things I noted there is uh, Chet hit three or two pull-up threes in his first game. It, in last the last NBA season, the most pull-up threes off the dribble that any center hit in the entire league or unassisted threes was Christian Wood had 20 all season. So there has never, that's what makes Chet unique. It's not shooting threes, it's shooting threes off the dribble. Do you want Chet shooting threes off the dribble? If he can make them at a reasonable rate, yeah. I mean, he hit 39% overall. He didn't take a lot of catch and shoots at Gonzaga, or did, didn't take a lot off the dribble, I should say, at Gonzaga. But I, it's an intriguing weapon because what center is like traditional center is going to be able to defend that? I guess so. I'm still pretty skeptical whether that's what you want your center to be doing. I mean, it's the modern NBA. You watch your center shooting threes, of course. What else would you want them to do on offense? I'm more shocked that Christian Wood hit 20 pull up or yeah, pull up threes. Yeah, Christian Wood's good. Anything else in summer league? Uh, well, I guess my last favorite part is that the victory lap for Chet happened at the Utah Summer League. <laughs> he didn't even make it to Vegas. It wasn't even then that it happened. It was day one in Utah. And I feel like there has to be like, maybe there's slightly less predictive power for the Utah Summer League. Maybe there's more though, because more of the players are actually playing early on. Well, I mean, the one thing is the the Jazz's summer league team this year is is very bad. Not the worst. I'm I think that's I'm going to see over the next couple of weeks. Phoenix is is remarkably low on NBA talent, uh, but Utah was was quite a weak team. To that's to what start I asked against. you about Walker Kessler, who at least would have been a competitive because he's another center, right? Right, and would have I played mean, he, against Chet. He was playing like against a college star, Kofi Coburn, who's on a two way for the Jazz, and then Taco Fall also got the other minutes for them. I don't think it's prepared to defend chat. <laughs> no, no, that was, uh, I, I got a lot of questions a couple of years ago, like people, especially coming off of his tournament when people were like, why well, can't taco fall, like just be Boban. And he's, he's just not quite there. He's not as skilled offensively as Boban is. So is Boban he, that good? I mean, also Boban has become more of a bit player over time, but he was a legitimate weapon for a long period of time in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Zach, Edie, like Bob- Zach Edie from Purdue. Here. He's the guy who's going to be, the next Bobon, in my opinion. Okay. Watch out for that. Things about Purdue, apparently. Oh no! <laughs> <sighs> I actually really like the Purdue football team. They're fun. I enjoyed playing against them in the 2000 slash 2001 Rose Bowl. All right. On that note, it seems like it's time for your favorite segment. Don't burn yourself. We got Mariners hot takes coming at you. I'm gonna tell you something happened earlier today. That league executives are wondering what the heck it means. And it happened with the Mariners being just four games out of the wild card. Jerry DePoto went on the radio and he said something very strange. Very strange. You'd probably have to be a Mariners fan to even know what I'm talking about. You probably don't even know what I'm talking about. They activated Ty France from the injured list a power-hitting designated hitter. So you're going. Why do you care about Ty France? Why does that matter? Why would the Mariners do that? Why would the Mariners, who are just four games out of the wild card, activate a player who is one of their best hitters? Why would they do that? 
you say, why would Robbie Ray sign with the Mariners? Why? You say, why when the Mariners last had a superstar young center fielder, an ace left-handed pitcher, and a Hall of Fame caliber DH, what happened that same year? They went to the ALCS. When the Mariners had a core like that, what did they do? Very rare for a young core to come together like that. Why? What's going on in Seattle? And that's what people in the league are watching right now. Because what else happened? What else? The last time they had a core like that. There's a statue for it outside the stadium. <laughs> Delightful. There's not any more to that, is there? No. <laughs> okay. Oh, why would they do that? Well, they're climbing up on. Let's remember to make note it's the third wild card that they're climbing up on, but uh, took three out of four from Oakland. That was their fourth consecutive series win since getting swept by the Angels three weeks ago. Uh, then swept a two-game set in San Diego to make it four out of five. And now a big series coming up this weekend because the hated rival Toronto Blue Jays are coming to town. Canada is coming south, invading down I-5 to uh, cheer on their beloved Blue Jays all weekend long at T-Mobile Park. I'm pretty fascinated about the series. I mean, this is like, obviously it's July. No series matters that much. But when you take a look at, there's so few series that happen. Is this new to the MLB schedule where they just basically only play the AL West? Uh, I don't know that it's changed the amount that they play the AL West, but I also don't know that much about baseball. I just, you look at the schedule and it's just like four against the A's, four against the Angels, then three games against somebody else. And then it's just like four against the Astros, four against the A's. It's just constant AL West. You look at like, there's very few series the rest of the season against teams that are not in the AL West. You know what's throwing me off is usually it's when I'm in Vegas the week of the MLB All-Star game. Mm -hmm. And this year it's a week later than usual. I I assume, but is that, I don't think that's related to the the lockout and the late start, is it? Because you would keep the All-Star game the same day, wouldn't you? So that's throwing me off. I mean, it could be definitely because of the, the lock. I even forgot that that lockout happened. I know. It kind of snuck up on me a little bit because I was trying to like figure out what's, I was, why is this happening? It I is kind curious. of incredible. The, the power that leagues have that it was just like a few months ago. And I instantly, you mentioned that. And I was like, oh yeah, I guess there, I was like, <laughs> there was a COVID disruption or something that happened. Oh, lots of things happened. Uh, I'm not seeing any reference here to the, the date changing on the Wikipedia. So I think it was always scheduled at this period of time. I don't know. But you, you look at the amount of series that are left against other teams that are in the mix for the wild card. And this is a pretty huge one, having four against, against the team that's right above you there. Yeah, definitely. So uh, I, I feel like we'll see how these Mariners hot takes progress. But I got to say the Mariners being exciting by July 7th. I mean, at the beginning of the season, we definitely would have predicted it. But just the ups and downs that have happened throughout the season, when Ty France got injured, when Handiger got injured, when Ty France got injured, the fact that when Ty France is coming back, we would look at this and say that the Mariners are, I don't want to say the legit contenders. They, they are within striking distance of the third wild card is what we're talking about here. They are, they are two years away from being two years away. But 
the idea that the Mariners could be in the mix after not having Ty France for that period of time. This is all a testament to Julio Rodriguez. Like these are all this Julio Rodriguez is a 41 and 42 record. There's no Mariners. It is Julio Rodriguez. This is his record. I feel like that actually kind of sounds negative. Julio's record should be positive, not not below. No, on his own? One player? <laughs> well, I just watched the uh, the Untouchables, so I learned that it takes a team. It is Julio Rodriguez and a starting pitching staff, or you, pitching staff in general. You have a certain enthusiasm, and that enthusiasm is Julio Rodriguez. Uh, we're going to drag out this Kraken segment a little bit because they are literally drafted. As we speak, I don't know if they're quite on the clock yet, but uh, what pick do they have? They have the number four pick. The first two are up that I see on the uh, ESPN NHL draft tracker. One of the two, three names I had written down as possible Kraken draft picks, Simon Nemec, a defenseman out of Slovakia, has been taken number two overall by the New Jersey Devils. So I'm not sure whether this is throwing draft boards into chaos or not. Wow. Uh, But it feels a little higher than maybe he was expected to go. So, oh, here, here we go. It is in. They Hello. drafted Shane Wright. Now to find out more about Shane Wright, who is not one of those three names I had written down. Now, so tell us about Shane Wright. <laughs> uh, okay, it appears he's from Burlington, Canada. Uh, he was expected to be the top pick of the entry draft, so I guess this is very surprising. Wow. That he dropped this much and the Kraken were able to get him. That's, that's what I've got at uh, first glance here. Now, so I, adding, he's, a player, he's definitely a forward. adding a player like a Shane Wright, what do you think that means for the Kraken long-term? <laughs> huh. Consider the presumptive first overall pick. Wright's status began to be called into question by the midpoint of the 2021-22 season with many scouts saying that he had left, quote, left the door open for someone to unseat him, according to Wikipedia. Wow. He left that door very wide open of three but players clearly, unseated him. Clearly he did. Yeah, uh, won a gold as a member of Team Canada at the 2021 U18 Championships. So those are he uh, was playing in the OHL with the uh, Ontario Hockey League with the Kingston Frontenacs. Wow, those are not a team I'm familiar with, as they do not play against the Thunderbirds. Okay, so looking at the Frontenacs history, <laughs> how well does that translate to the NHL? Do you think he's going to start in the minor leagues or go straight to the Kraken? Uh I I think. It could could go either direction. <laughs> yes, good point. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like he is a center. So another center to go along with Matty Beneers is they build build kind of the along the uh, along the middle there. There we um, go down the middle. <laughs> now I'm gesturing on this podcast, but I was speaking at the same time. That was amplifying my gestures. <laughs> down the middle. <clears throat> I even had some notes on the other three guys I thought because I thought Shane Wright was going to be taken ahead of them, I guess. Wow. What a steal. I'm excited about this. I'm into it. Uh, the NHL also announced the two. This, uh, by the way, the Kraken still have uh, four other picks coming in the top 61 of the draft. So plenty more action to come from the Kraken over the next two days here with the NHL draft. Uh, NHL also announced the 2022-23 schedule. Kraken will open play preseason play September 26th at home. The regular season begins on the road with a back-to-back on October 12th and 13th at Anaheim and LA before returning for the home opener Saturday, October 15th against the Vegas Golden Knights. Hello. Golden Knights will also visit to close out the regular season on April 13th. NHL really trying to make this rivalry happen. The Vegas rivalry? Yeah. 
I mean, look, you put a basketball team in Seattle and a basketball team in Vegas, all of a sudden, <clears throat> maybe we could have a rivalry with the city of Las Vegas. Let's do it. Uh, no, so you mentioned something earlier that I thought was interesting to come back to, though. This is a serious <laughs> question. And so earlier in the podcast, when we were talking about NBA expansion, you mentioned that it would be important for the league to see professional basketball, NBA basketball in Climate Pledge Arena. How do you think that the NHL was able to project what professional hockey would look like at Climate Pledge Arena years before it was built? I think the NHL's expansion standards might be a tad different than the NBA's expansion standards. That's, that's my analysis of the situation. Now, could they, could they have imagined that there was going to be a rink, maybe a standard size rink? I'm not sure. And then probably goalies and a puck in that building and then fans in that building. See, I, I, I'm always on the fence about it's really hard to tell what a sport looks like in a, in a building. The other thing is like NHL buildings are like, frankly, obviously there's a lot of crossover between NHL and NBA buildings. NHL buildings are not as nice as a general rule as NBA buildings. Maybe they weren't, but I bet they're going to be now. I mean, I don't think they're wildly dissimilar, but like they were going to play in Key Arena for a couple of years if the Coyotes had moved here. Wow. And do you think the NBA could have visualized what professional basketball would look like in key arena yeah they it's visualized almost, it and they determined it to be bad Every, sometimes people will say like the nba deemed key arena unsuitable for pro basketball like no everyone well for nba basketball everyone agreed on that it's not like that was a question it was mark. a phenomenal best it's just because there weren't enough suites and high-end places for people to sit yeah those are key parts of nba basketball Dumb. <laughs> they surpassed nine billion in re- or no, nearly hit nine billion in revenue and those are a big part of it <laughs> Uh, would the would the expansion of Vegas team would the, this is an actual question would the expansion Vegas team be in the hockey arena or in a brand new arena? The presumption is they're going to play in the arena that Oakview is building that we talked about a few months ago. Oh, okay. The, Where are they building that again? It's the oh, I uh, my, How many my Vegas arenas? I, I understand good. that Vegas is like basically sprawling desert, so you could put an arena anywhere. But that like, how many arenas are they going to build in Vegas? Well, there's this how many thing. how many times can the Red Hot Chili Peppers play in Vegas? They can't play that many times. I mean, I'm seeing a rusher an Usher residency coming in October 2022 at, at uh, MGM. So uh, <laughs> I, I'm well informed on that. A lot of people MGM are going to be watching side. that. <laughs> <laughs> it's at the Mandalay Bay end of the strip kind of near the airport, generally speaking, is where I understand this uh, this land to be. I'm not sure which side of the strip it's on, though. That that I'm not totally sure about. Uh, by the way, and so the third thing that's being built in Vegas is the, the sphere that James Dolan is behind. And I don't think he's affiliated with Oakview Group anymore. I think at some point they split off. Like Oakview was originally involved with that project, but I don't think they are now because they're building their own arena. But he is not envisioning that as a an arena. He's envisioning that strictly as a concert space. Okay. And that you can now see being built. It's definitely distinctive looking. A lot of Vegas geography on this pod. Hopefully people, the listener has been to Vegas. Uh, Seattle Sounders. Now, so when you, when you say a concert building for James Dolan, this is just for a JD in a straight shot, right? <laughs> yes, yes, exclusive <laughs> for, residency. For the residency. <laughs> year round, every night, multiple <laughs> times a night, JD in the straight shots. 
Sounders had a disappointing performance last Wednesday against Montreal. They grabbed the lead through Jordan Morris in the third minute, but then allowed a pair of goals to Mason Toy, both of them set up in part by Kai Kamara. First home loss for the Sounders since April 16th. On Saturday, though, a much better result on the road after this long homestand at Toronto FC. UWM Dylan Tevez Jr. got his first career goal in his first start as part of some squad rotation. Freddie Montero then doubled the scoreline in the second half, and Stephen Cleveland came up with a big save to help keep a clean sheet, stepping in for Stephen Fry in goal. Uh, thanks to other results with that win, the Sounders jumped into a tie for fifth in the Western Conference, now on level fourth on points per match with one match in hand on Nashville SC, which has one more point thus far coming up this Saturday. It's a derby match against the Portland Timbers. Hello. Who sit a disappointing 10th in the West Standings, but unbeaten in their last four matches. Sounders may be without manager Brian Schmetzer, who said on his weekly KJR interview that he tested positive for COVID-19 this week. Schmetz did say that Rel Ruiz Diaz will return to the starting 11 after missing the last four games due to a hamstring injury. Uh, another Sounders report here. Forbes recently reported that a minority stake in the team sold at $680 million valuation a few months ago. The Sounders then released a statement de- denying that transaction when asked about it, but indicated that they would only announce a sale, at, quote, after all details have been finalized and are ready for public disclosure. Sounder at heart reported that if a minority shareholder is considering a sale, a source indicated it is not Russell Wilson. So was not looking to divest and buy a share in the Colorado Avalanche. O.L. Rain got a 2-0 win last Friday against the North Carolina Courage playing without their USWNT players. Bethany Balser and reigning MVP Jess Fishlock alternated, assisting the other on the Rain's pair of goals in that one. Kim Little played the first half in her return to the Rain on a short-term goal, on a short-term loan, I should say. While Tobin Heath was not in the 18 after joining the team for training at the start of the week, she's got probably more time coming to ramp up to full speed uh, this Sunday. It's also a Derby match for the, for the uh, rain who hosts the Portland thorns in a key matchup for NWSL positioning. The rain are currently one point behind the thorns in the NWSL standings though. Portland's plus 14 goal differential leads the NWSL while the rain are at a more modest plus three. Uh, we alluded to this at the start of the pod when we were talking about Lauren Jackson. Tina Charles, we talked about her addition on last week's podcast, officially signed with the Storm on Tuesday, made her debut Wednesday in a win over Las Vegas, has been playing in a reserve role thus far, uh, both at center behind Desi Magbagor and at power forward behind Brianna Stewart. You know, Noel Quinn's looked at a few different combos, hasn't had much practice time because it's been a busy schedule since that uh, first practice that Tina Charles got last Tuesday. The next day, she debuted in an 88-78 win over the uh, the, the fading Las Vegas Aces. They've lost oh, no. uh, two in a row lately, three of their last four. Opponent studio, very high percentage from three-point range against the Aces after a slow start from there. On Friday, it was a 73-57 blowout win against the Indiana Fever to close out a homestand. Then the storm flew cross country for a noon Pacific time tip off Sunday at Atlanta. Uh, not a good recipe for success. Lost that one 90 to 76, but got back on track with another blowout of the fever in Indiana on Tuesday with uh, both Subert and Brian January getting honored before that game. January started her career with the fever, won a championship there in 2012. And uh, as we record this hours away from the storm wrapping up their first half schedule at Los Angeles, again, they'll be without Subert in that one. Uh, All-Star game coming up on Sunday on ABC. All three Storm players will play for Team Stewart. Uh, Brianna Stewart is team captain, drafted Jewel Lloyd, and then 
traded for Sue Bird as part of a trade with the uh, other captain, Asia Wilson, after the draft. Uh, I, I got to imagine the uh, WNBA knew that uh, they wanted to have Bird and Stewart on the same team. Mm-hmm. Uh, WNBA standings have considered tightened considerably at this point as we look ahead to the second half. Uh, Storm suddenly, you know, just a game and a half out of first place in the WNBA, tied with Connecticut for third, also only a game up on Washington for that fourth and final uh, home court advantage spot in the first round of the playoffs. So it looked like really it was all Las Vegas and Connecticut in the first month of the season. And now all of those teams have really kind of dropped back towards the pack. And it's a much more wide open league as we project ahead to the second half. How, how are the Liberty doing? I'd say you posted about Sabrina Unescu. Yeah, I mean, they started so poorly that they're still a half game out of the playoffs right now at 9 and 12, but they won six of their last 10. So they're, they're not a championship threat as yet, but certainly a wild card. They, were, they beat the Aces in what was the, the highest scoring and most efficient offensive game in WNBA history on Wednesday oh, night. history? History, yeah. Oh, wow. I thought that was just this year. No, and UNESCO had the first ever 30-point triple-double in league history. I feel like that I, I, I don't know if we would see this, but I could see New York rallying around uh, Sabrina UNESCO. Like, if she's putting up performances like that of having, like, an actual superstar player playing in the Garden. I, not in the Garden, in Bar- oh. Barclays. Oh, they play in Barclays? Yeah, because the Nets is shared ownership oh. with the Nets now. Oh, they own... Oh. But they saw yeah. the, the colors of the... Yeah, they maintained the Liberty's colors. They did not change those when the sale happened, but uh, moved to the new arena. And Josiah Even better. And, and Clara Sai uh, have, were involved in recruiting Brianna Stewart, you'll recall, last offseason. Uh, were fined for illegally chartering the team against in violation of WNBA rules, also taking them to Napa and uh, in violation of league rules. So that this all relates to the fact that let's hope that new, the city of New York is not rallying around Brianna Stewart plan for the Liberty alongside Sabrina Ionescu next year. I, I did take note of this. Stewie did not pick Sabrina in the draft. Ionescu was the very last player taken between what? the two sides. Why? Well, she was the last of the starters, I should say. Even still, that doesn't seem to make any sense. Or is she not playing that well outside of this one game? No, she's playing that well, but I mean, also there, there was only six players to choose from because the two captains and then Burden Fowles were co-captains. How did the draft go? <laughs> Stewie was well prepared. She had a clipboard. Oh, uh, <laughs> literally a clipboard is all it takes to oh, be well prepared. It is <laughs> showing up with a clipboard. And Wilson was just doing it kind of off the dump. <laughs> she had a list to scratch off who was getting drafted, but Stewie clearly had a list going in. So I'm surprised Sabrina Ionescu was last. I was also surprised by that. I took again. I took note of it. Okay. I don't think that means anything. Uh, that's like <laughs> the smallest part in the process. <laughs> You're saying I should do it. What does yeah. it mean? Uh, you know, like, <laughs> I'm not reporting this, but. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Stewart did not draft Sabrina Unescu in the WNBA All-Star Draft. I got to say, like the start of the season, New York was playing terribly. Sabrina was still up and down. I was like, is Stewie really going to go play for them? She's got Joel Lloyd and Ezie Magbogor breaking out as a star here in Seattle. But now that Sabrina's playing as well as she is, it seems like a lot more legit consideration. So we'll see. Huh. Wow. We'll see. Is anybody else talking about this? I, we, we have to be one of the few podcasts talking about this. I, I don't know which other <laughs> Seattle sports podcasts are talking Seattle about. Seattle sports. 
<laughs> are there <laughs> national WNBA podcasts that are talking on it? You know, the even though free agency has become a bigger thing, it's not like this situation where it like hangs over the entire season the way that it does in the NBA, which is probably for the best. Oh no, it's definitely not. I'm telling you right now, people I, do not care about basketball games. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm I understand your up, point. I, I know the career do, I have not care about basketball games they care about trade grades and they care about transactions if you were a league you would go well, out of your way speculating to... about transactions oh yeah Spe- and they like the transactions themselves but the speculation is in some cases even more important like the, there hasn't been a kevin durant trade there might not be a kevin durant trade but there's a whole whole economy of kevin Wait, there durant might trade. not be a kevin durant this trade game. yeah i mean what's just saying that they might keep him into training camp see what happens and just be like screw it that's what I was kind of interesting when they was like, he demanded a trade. And I was like, wait, so you just, you have to do one now. I mean, the original Woj report was that Sean Marks would work with Durant to find a trade. Yeah. So we'll see huh. okay. on all of it. Maybe, maybe Kevin Durant and, and <laughs> Brianna Storm will both be playing at Barclays Center next year. And maybe neither will be playing there. It's, it's hard to tell. All right. Do you want to talk about uh, UW athletic department? I, I am just so deep in the chatter right now that is there a specific subreddit devoted to this or is this all within the you know, you know what's funny I went subreddit. to the R I'm there might be, I don't think that there is another subreddit page but devoted just to uh, conference changes I mean, the, I mean the thing is college football fans are like the best prepared for this because they already know how to like you know track flights and everything like that when they're yes. where they're figuring out coaching changes in what are conference changes if not a really big long-term coaching I saw, change i saw a thing that flight aware blocked the clemson private plane and i was just like i do not buy that i do not think these meetings are happening in person all that much like the only time we got that in the nba was when dan gilbert flew to to miami to meet with lebron before LeBron oh came yeah back. There, there was some big flight tracking going on there were a couple summers of flight I mean, tracking happening for the NBA. Chris Chris Peterson, I was the first like I really paid attention to the flight tracking. That was a big one. It's more like you're moving somebody for a press conference, but like the a team changing conferences, it doesn't like you don't need to fly anybody anywhere. You, you USC didn't fly to Columbus. There's no home of the Big Ten. I believe Indianapolis is presumably the league office of the Big Ten. I, I don't I'll double check that, but I would I would bet on Indianapolis. Pretty soon it's going to be in LA. If Fox has anything to say about it. <laughs> uh, the new Big Ten. Um, well, I, I, I was wrong. Rosemont, Illinois. It's in the Chicago suburbs with a, an in office in New York City. So I, I don't know. I mean, I'm operating under the assumption, you might have heard otherwise about UW and the Big Ten. I'm operating under the assumption that UW and Oregon are not going to the Big Ten at this point. And again, I could be completely wrong. The reality is I'm not sure if I buy any reports that happen about this at all one way or another. Like, I think the amount of information that people have, just looking at how little information people had about USC and UCLA leaving, Makes me think that there's, and again, people weren't looking for it maybe as much as they should have been, but there wasn't any chatter as far as I can tell. There were some people on Twitter who were predicting it or talking about it or whatever, who might've caught wind of it, but not like official reports. It wasn't like, you know, big college football reporters were talking every single day about how this is about to happen. It was out of the blue. So I, I think that the chatter around 
the four corner schools, Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah going to the Big 12, I am choosing to believe it's probably bullshit. Uh, I think there might be some conversations happening between the Pac-12 and the ACC. Like, I mean, I, w- I would assume that that's, that's the scenario they're lining up in case UW and Oregon end up in the Big Ten and Stanford. That, that, that's what I think also. Like, I mean, the reality is of the programs that are basically out there for the taking, right? It still is, you know, assuming that all the ACC is under the grant of rights, and can't can't move at this point which again maybe that could change but assuming that all the acc is under the grant you just threw out that that you referred to it as the gor in our conversation yesterday as if i'm like intimately familiar with the grant of rights and i was like oh that sounds vaguely like something you don't know about the gor it's all we talk about that's funny as much time on crf or cfb as you are so there's other people talking about the gr so assuming that the acc schools are not going to move which we'll see but really, when you look at kind of like the pecking order of schools that are kind of out there, it still goes Notre Dame, number one, and then some sort of combination of UW or Oregon. Like the reality is, even assuming that a Big 12 school could move, UW and Oregon are still more important programs than any school in the Big 12. I mean, I think one of the things we've learned is like, in, in, depending on what happens, how you factor in the ACC, if it's some combination of, of Pac-12, Big 12, and whatever lower conferences might move up schools, UW and Oregon become the Texas and Oklahoma in the Big 12 of that conference. Yeah, but uh, eventually Texas and Oklahoma left for the SEC. I, you know? I chose that example very intentionally. But th- that's kind of, I, I, I would be pretty skeptical if UW and Oregon, aside from signing, you know, getting an offer to play in the SEC or the Big 10, if they do anything that is going to lock them up long-term. I think that the goal will be Eventually, at some point, somebody's going to say we need more. And that's what's going on with the situation. Nobody is going to be like the SEC, the Big Ten is not going to be like, we're done forever. We're good. You know, the arms race always is going to continue. I'm sure that when this happened, when USC and UCLA went to the Big Ten, the SEC was furious that that happened. Right. Because they're looking, they are always comparing themselves to each other. We talked about on that emergency podcast, the fear factor of all this. I thought, uh, I thought that was the most compelling point you made. <laughs> that uh, when you make enough points, at least one is going to be good. But the, the fear factor that's going on between these two programs of somebody is going to have more. Right. And look, Vanderbilt's not scared about it. Vanderbilt's just happy to be along for the ride. Right. But the schools that are scared about it are Texas and Oklahoma. Right. I think they have a lot that they're looking at that they're like, shit, we just joined this conference. And now some like they probably could have joined the Big Ten if they would have wanted to. Might not have been as natural, but they're just like, did we do something? Did we make a wrong decision along the way here? Is the Big Ten going to be the powerful conference going forward? Is it not the SEC? Big Ten probably has better media markets overall than the SEC does. Uh, oh, they unquestionably have better media markets than the SEC does. They just don't have as avid fans. Like, what the, the SEC is. is bringing to the table is the it meaning more. And then, so basically like that, that more piece at some point, what's going to happen is the big 10 or the sec or somebody else is going to look around and say, this network needs me to have something beyond what we have right now. And they're going to say, what is the most desirable school after that? And they're going to say, well, it's UW and it's Oregon. 
right? Because they're the two most desirable schools that are not already part of one of these conferences and aren't, aren't already part of the grant of rights in the ACC, which may blow up. I don't know. But this idea that the ACC schools are that valuable, like it's just a given that they go to the SEC. It's like, I'm, I'm personally a little bit skeptical about everybody's like Clemson's gone. And we sort of thought about this otherwise, but it was like, Clemson is not that great of a historical program. You know, like, I don't know if their media rights are all of a sudden, are they worth an extra 50 million on top of to all these schools? Like, what are they worth to these schools overall? So I think it's partially just about waiting it out, not getting left behind, being in an important position and waiting for that right opportunity. And look, the right opportunity might not be with SEC, ACC, Big Ten. It might be in six years or something like that. And it might be for whatever super conference comes after all this. Because I, I am very confident that the SEC and the Big Ten, ACC, Big 12, Pac-12, at some point, somebody's going to be like, fuck this. Like these, these old associations that we have, we all recognize they don't mean anything anymore, right? The 100-year history of the Pacific Coast Conference doesn't matter anymore. Right. It's just like it's done. USC and UCLA killed that hundred year history, which is fine. Like it's just a reality. It's of not fine. Going. It's it's actually terrible. It, it's terrible, but it's it happened like yes. it's, it's, it's a, a terrible. We can't, we can't change. And what matters more is history doesn't matter. What matters is the money and media markets and, and the rabid fan bases that come with them. So if it all of a sudden is the top 25 programs in the country get together and just say, we're here. Y'all deal with yourselves for everybody else. This is our championship. We're basically the new NFL. You know, we're going to align like that. Are UW and Oregon part of that? Possibly. I think there's probably a good chance they would be. So it could even be something like that. Maybe they wait out in the Pac-10 for however many years and they just kind of dominate. And again, it's not like, the other thing is, we're so fucking cocky at this. And it's like, I mean, they're both, the on the field piece being so separate from this other piece, right? This idea that like Rutgers is good enough to be part of the big 10. Just like Rutgers has basically never had a good football program almost ever. Right. Like shouts to oh, Charlie Rogers. The disrespect to the Greg Shiano years. There were, there were a couple of nice Greg Shiano years in the big East RIP. I mean, actually I endorse disrespect to Greg Shiano, generally speaking, but those teams were pretty good. But but you understand what I'm saying? Like, it, it's kind of just about, I think it is about waiting it out for a second, not doing anything that ties them long-term. Because if you were to take, if you were to take Clemson, Florida State, you know, North Carolina, Virginia, Virginia Tech, somebody like that, they're probably saying to themselves, we, we don't want to be in this deal that we're in that goes through 2030 or whatever. Yep. So in, unless it is the end game, it's the, 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 which there is none. There is no end game to this. It's going to keep evolving forever. But unless you're part of one of the two most major conferences, I think not doing anything hasty and not doing anything that locks you up into a media deal. Because again, conferences are nothing. Media deals are all that matter. These are, it is not the Big Ten conference. It is the Big Ten media deal. That's what we're talking about here. In the yep. same way that the NBA would be perfectly happy to have a team in Seattle. They don't want a team in the NBA media deal. That's that it. correct. Yes. So, like, the NBA doesn't give a shit about Seattle. They're just like, when does the NBA, when does Seattle give enough to the NBA media deal to be worth adding a franchise? And I think they've probably reached that point. But that's that's all these things are. Like, the, the ties to these conferences, to football organizations or whatever. If there was an NFL, if there was a city out there for the NFL, and that's what happened. We got two teams in LA, right? Because they were two, like... These two teams more than LA wanted. <laughs> Maybe one and a half more than LA wanted. 
There was that one guy celebrating the Super Bowl. I saw him. <laughs> I swear to God, there was one. I'm telling you. I. Some people said he was a mirage. Some people said he was a mirage. But the second that the Rams fans, the game ended, they're just like, okay, cool. Change the channel to whatever else after that. <laughs> anyway, so so this idea of uh, that that's what I don't know when when this fully was engaged or whatever that these that these institutions became media deals but it's just like and it's a it's a football media deal also for these college sports it's just it's more of a bummer that all of the other programs have to go along with it yeah. that usc and ucla all of the other programs i'm sure like you met you brought up men's golf yesterday women's golf right like We've, yeah like, any of those teams like you're the, that trip to i mean actually golf is probably not as bad because I, I assume you only played I don't know. I actually don't know how golf college golf works in the schedule wow. whatsoever. Shocking that out. you don't know about that. But if but if you're like the volleyball team, or you also play a series, the the women's basketball team, and you've got to travel from LA to Rutgers for a game on a Tuesday night. Yeah, that's that's a pretty brutal trip. Yeah. So it's it's unfortunate because you kind of just have to go along for the ride. And there's the the money that you're getting from that football deal is still going back to all these other programs. I get that, but like that may change also. Think I think things will change quite a bit. Like this 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 move more than Texas and Oklahoma more than probably any other move I think is going to reshape how all of college sports looks. Agreed. And probably 100%. for the worse. All right, but let's wrap up. At the at the same time I do want to say cuz you've been very negative about this. Even yeah. if that happens, you know that my view of college football is much more based on I don't give a shit whether UW is I mean I, I care a lot whether UW is good. I don't give a shit about teams in the other part of the rest of the country at all. I just care about UW relative to the teams in the Pac-12. And pretty soon, you'll it'll be relative to the teams in the Mountain West. Well, it's, um, not, <laughs> it's not gonna be the same. <laughs> just I just want them to be better than San Diego even State. Co- even Colorado like worked out really well because randomly UW and Colorado had this rivalry from the '90s and the 2000s and the Rick Neuheisel piece. Like they felt like such a natural rival already. When they came into the Pac-12, they, they feel Utah like not as much a Pac Pac-10 Pac-12 team. Yeah, but uh, but there no longer is that. That's the thing is like there once upon a time was a concept of what a Pac-X school was, which is, I mean, obviously there are a couple of private were private institutions, Stanford and USC, but generally large public colleges in the Western time zone, like that. That's a cohesive theory of a thing. And now that cohesive theory has been destroyed. What I was going to say is my positive thing about this is at the same time, no matter what happens, if, if UW is in the ACC, whatever, right? ACC, Big 12, remnants of the Pac-10, like the, if they are in those programs on a nice October Saturday, it is still going to be fun to go to the greatest setting in all of college football. You're just right? not remembering those miserable, rainy eight o'clock. Or it's going to be terrible. <laughs> That's the thing. It's like, like, it'll be fun or it'll be terrible, but we will still have, even if it's playing against whomever, if they're playing against Virginia, if they're playing against Rutgers, if they're playing against Oklahoma State, it'll still be fun to go to those games. At no point do you go to that game and you're like, wow, I'm really excited about the history of this Oregon State game because we had shitty weather last year at the Oregon State game. Or whatever. It's still going to be miserable in the same way that it was before. But I think we're just going to have to reshape how these things look in a way that, you know, the history might look more like the NFL where you're kind of just like, you know, when the Jags come to town, it's the Jags came to town rather than it's okay. The last five years, what 
But what I hope remains is similar to the NFL. You've got your core group of teams. I hope that the UW stays in the same conference and plays Oregon every year, plays Stanford every year. They presumably will still play Wazoo every year, presumably not be in the same conference as Wazoo. That those things remain, that they have those handful of set places that they're playing every year. Beyond that, I don't really care. Like, it's not like the UCLA game. I'm like, whew, the UCLA game. They're kind of just a team on the schedule. I don't think I agree with that. Also, it's much easier to travel to games if they happen within the Western region than if your games are against Oklahoma State. I don't know about those directs to Stillwater. Then don't go. But that's but that's part of the fun is like making a road trip and going to fun places in the Pac-12. And that's, that's now there'll not... be a new, there'll be a new host of places to go to. Mm-hmm. How many places in the Pac-12 have you been? I guess you've been to more. I've been to one. I, I mean, I, we did back-to-back trips to Boulder, so that kind of took those off of the list. Uh, I also saw the UW play at Cal and, well, I guess and I've been, been to a Wazoo Stanford. game yeah. in Stanford. So, You've never been to it. Oregon, though. I have not been to Oregon. Don't go to Oregon. I don't, don't intend to. Unless we're like so much better than Oregon. We could be had, a lot better than you Oregon. You went to an Oregon State game, right? No, I never have made it to an Oregon State game. I've always wanted to. This argument and, is and, dumb as hell. And now it's, now it's, it's the like opportunity. Three hours the away. Well, they still, these still probably going to be two more years of the Pac-12. It's not three hours. It's at least four, I think. It's like three and a half. But I should, well, I, Houston's not that long of a flight away. <laughs> I mean, also, you food. get to go to Houston. Great food in Houston. So that, that I, actually would be. A, I think a, it opens it up for new and interesting trips. You went to a Big Ten school this year. You remember UW versus a Big Ten school. I do. I, I do remember. And I learned how outclassed we were. <laughs> And, and then the Big Ten proved it. <laughs> oh, well, let's wrap up with the Seahawks. Uh, first, a statement released by Jody Allen uh, earlier this week. is chair of both the Portland Trailblazers and the Seattle Seahawks, my long-term focus is building championship teams that our communities are proud of. Like my brother, Paul, I trust and expect our leaders and coaches to build winning teams that deliver results on and off the court and field. As we've stated before, neither of the teams is for sale and there are no sales discussions happening. A time will come when that changes, given Paul's plans to dedicate the vast majority of his wealth to philanthropy, but estates of this size and complexity can take 10 to 20 years to wind down. There is no preordained timeline by which the teams must be sold. Until then, my focus, and that of our teams, is on winning. So I guess this was a statement mostly to Phil Knight, and uh, I, I must admit I forgot the, the name of the Dodgers minority investor who uh, was also involved in that bid for the Blazers. It was a statement of John Canzano also. I mean, it's interesting because the one thing it specifically contradicts is the reporting from RTO Sports Press Northwest that Allen's estate had to be dissolved within 10 years of his death in October 2018. So 10 to 20 years. I got to say, I'm calling BS on the idea that this this estate is really that convoluted like many of the most significant properties have already been sold off here i don't think it's i I also like it's not like you're sitting there and like you're personally reviewing all the sales documents like you have a team for that i think they could pretty easily sell the team if they wanted to it seems to me pretty clear that jody allen does not want to sell these teams yeah jody allen from the reporting that we got was heavily behind paul allen buying the seahawks so why would she want to sell the team like I, I get it <clears throat> and the, you know, the requests of the will or whatever, but like I, Jody Allen wants to own the team. Yeah. That's what we're seeing here. Yeah. So in the I, same way, uh, so again, I don't really believe any reports that are happening. There were a lot of reports around the Blazers, the Seahawks for a second. And this right here was a fuck you to all those reports. <laughs> I mean, 
I, yeah. Uh, I, I think, no, I think one thing I will say is I think a lot of not the reporting, but kind of the analysis of the situation has been framed by this idea that Jody Allen just doesn't care that much. And look, even if she's not as visible or vocal, uh, a figure is some, you know, chairs around these two leagues. I don't think that means you don't care or don't enjoy the process of owning a sports team. No, I think this is the year that uh, if, if we're to believe what the reporting is, Jody Allen has maybe been the most important behind the scenes. Correct. Some of the stuff that's happened. I mean, we didn't even talk about this last week, but bringing on two, two new people in the front office and analytics roles. We did have, not talk about that, which I think that happened after our last podcast. It didn't. Um, oh. But I, I think we just forgot about it. We forgot to bring it up. We just don't really like those nerds and being involved in sports. <laughs> um, uh. I thought about it after and I was like, oh, fuck it thought we were going to bring that up but uh that the way that they drafted this year i think i think this was the draft that the front office and pete had the least involvement with no you're um, wrong about this this happened june 27th we podcasted like june 20 you were in hawaii already well i guess we you, we did do no, the we, college it happened playoff. during the day june 27th i flew to hawaii on june 28th we podcasted that night it happened earlier that day Oh, I guess I'm looking at, uh, you're right. I'm looking at the July calendar. And wow. The calendar. Wow. Kevin Pelton owned. Pelton cast calendars. ESPN's Kevin Pelton owned. <laughs> Aggregated. <laughs> uh, they hired uh, Becca Ehrenbaum, who uh, was working for the Knicks as a senior football research analyst, and Peter Engler, who uh, had worked for the Charlotte Thunder, and then also for the 33rd team, which is ran by former uh, NFL GM Mike Tannenbaum as a football research assistant. And I believe it was Tannenbaum who was tweeting in the replies about uh, what a great hire Peter Engler was from their experience working together. Who are the Charlotte Thunder? I do not know that information. I don't believe they play in the same league as the Gilgronis and the <laughs> Giltinis, but I can't rule it out. The Charlotte Thunder are an indoor American football team there in the go. American Arena League. Yeah, I didn't realize they were doing analytics there. Like, good for them, yeah. legitimately. So that was uh, first reported by my ESPN colleague, Seth Walder. So anyways, back to Jody Howard. I mean, that's, I, I think we're seeing, th- this was the offseason that Jody definitely exerted herself on the program. Uh, this was the offseason she became president? That's really true. Uh, I mean, it was kind of like, Pete and John had so much of a, a reign in the organization. And then all of a sudden, like, I'm sure she was heavily involved in the Russell Wilson trade. You know, I don't think it was oh, yeah. something that was I mean, happening outside decision of Decision at that level, yes. Uh, so I, I don't. I don't really buy it. Jody wanted to own the team. I, I think, again, it was the idea of seeing a female owner. There's just such deep sexism that exists in professional sports that every time that there's a female owner, they don't want it. They don't want to own the team. Uh, also, in additional news breaking, as we record this podcast, Hello. the uh, Hall of Fame has announced the... Uh, the 54, it appears, semifinalists uh, consideration for next year's class, and those include Mike Holmgren. So All this right. is why we usually record at like 10 p.m. Uh, because there's less breaking news that happens during the pod except the time that the Seahawks fired their coordinators. Get Mike Holmgren in the Hall of Fame. Come on. Yeah. Took two different teams to the Super Bowl. Uh, so the other bit of... I was going to say he won the Super Bowl with two different teams, but turns out he did not. Did not. <laughs> 
uh, we, we, we don't even, call, I don't know if we even call that one canceled at, at this point, but, but the referee is, we have some tanks. Uh, the other piece of Seahawks related news in the past week, the Baker Mayfield, not going to become a Seahawk headed instead to the Carolina Panthers. Uh, this deal seemed like an incredible steal for the Panthers who sent back a conditional fifth round pick that possibly upgrades to a fourth rounder based on playing time. I think 75% of snaps with Carolina paying him 4.85 million according to Adam Schefter, plus about 3.5 million in salary converted to team-based incentives by Mayfield. The Browns will eat a $10.5 million in salary that they converted to a signing bonus. Who are the, who are the Panthers current quarterbacks right now? Do they still have Sam Darnold? They still have, oh, they sure have, do still have Sam Darnold. They also have uh, Matt Castle or not Matt, Matt Castle. That can't be right. Dude, dude, Matt Corral. <laughs> Matt Matt Corral. Corral. Oh, yeah, they traded up to draft Matt Corral. Correct. Oh, yeah. Matt <laughs> Castle Matt would be Castle, impressive. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> so he took the Patriots to, I think they were 12 and four. They actually missed the, the playoffs. Uh, yes, they did miss the playoffs that year. Should have expanded the playoffs then. That was one year it would have been justifiable. You know, Mitchell Trubisky started a playoff game two years ago. <laughs> well aware. He was, the MVP. he was the MVP. <laughs> I never forget that he was the MVP. It's unclear what Matt Castle is doing these days. He was the MVP. I mean, Mitch Trubisky has started multiple playoff games. Uh, he was the MVP of what? The MVP. Of, oh, the MVP of the Nickelodeon game. Yeah. Didn't they lose? For some reason, the MVP has historically gone to the losing team. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand. Like, I, I've not done a deep dive into how MVP voting is done. That might be Steelers starting quarterback, Mitch Trubisky, to you. I very well might. I just love, this is what we get by expanding things. I'm actually pro-expanding the football playoffs, but it's just like, fucking, we get USC versus Rutgers, and we get Mitch Trubisky in a playoff game. Thanks, capitalism. Late-stage capitalism. We might be very late-stage capitalism. So, uh, I don't know, where, where, where were we actually talking about? Baker Mayfield? Yes. Did you have a response yet? Uh, a response to Baker Mayfield? <laughs> well, like a take. Do you have a take? I, I mean, I think this is a great deal. I, I think they got Baker Mayfield on a steal, paying him $4 million for one year just to see what's up. Kick, I mean, it is, kick the tires, so to say. It is truly incredible how uninterested the Seahawks were in Baker Mayfield for them not to be willing to meet this price. And... Uh, I think it was Ian Rappaport who said that basically like it was only if he was got released was the only scenario. And maybe like, then they would have been interested in the minimum. Which he had said, I think this was before Baker got traded officially. And there was one of the like fucking the Pat McAfee shows. Um, I thought that was this week. I, I think it was before the trade actually happened where Ian Rappaport's just in a car for some reason. talking <laughs> yes, to Pat McAfee. Every that, yes. time. You're just like, are you permanently driving Ian Rapport? And he was just like, no interest, no interest whatsoever. And then the trade happened. So, I mean, I mean again, that's the thing, talking about college football. There was a, a serious report from a serious reporter that the Seahawks were interested in Baker Mayfield, which clearly was wrong. You know, somebody got fed bad information when that report happened a couple of weeks ago. I mean, also some of these things are like, it's a semantic issue. Like, again, maybe the Seahawks would have had interest in him at the minimum, but did not have any interest in a trade for him. And those are two different ways that you could report that depending on the way you spun it could be reported two different like ways and still be accurate. I mean, there's a teams who'd be interested in a lot of players at the minimum. <laughs> I, 
I mean, yes, but there was a plausible outcome for Baker Mayfield. If that's what we're talking about, anytime that you say a team is interested in a player, that they would sign them if they were released by their current team and at the minimum, that is like the lowest threshold for interest. I, I mean, I and agree with maybe, that assessment. Maybe if they got released by their team and were willing, willing to play for the minimum. Uh, Baker Mayfield seems quite clearly better than either the quarterbacks. I mean, not quite clearly. He seems likely better than either of the quarterbacks on the Seahawks roster based on his past performance, as you've talked about. And this team is this not is, lying about Drew Locke and Geno Smith. The, now, the question is whether they're not lying about Geno Locke and Drew, Geno Locke and Drew Smith. Well, Drew Smith was a power forward of Missouri. Uh, Drew, Smith, Drew Locke wow, and Geno Smith. that's where Drew Locke went. <laughs> Think about that. Wow. Uh, wow. The, the question is whether the reason for that is because of the fact that they're actually understand that they're going to be bad and don't mind being bad next season or that they really believe in Drew Locke and Geno Smith. I, 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 I think they probably do, but you can't rule it out. I will never buy that Pete Carroll at his age is accepting that the team is bad. But, I, I, mean, I will not buy like, that Pete Carroll in his mentality will accept that the team is bad. But, the, but that, that's why it makes the Baker thing so odd, unless they just really were concerned about him you know, as a, as a leader, that element of it. Because like, why, why wouldn't you, if you were serious about competing, even if you believed in your guys, your whole thing is competition makes everyone better. And maybe that just doesn't apply at the quarterback position. Maybe the quarterback position is just an exception for Pete Carroll at this point. I don't, I don't think that's the case. I mean, that's the reason that there's Gino and Drew Locke is he wants to have competition. He just doesn't want, I, I think mean, Baker it, Mayfield is like, he is NFL kryptonite at this point. He is poison to NFL teams. I don't think that's going to work out well for the Seahawks. I mean, it might, nothing's going to work. Baker Mayfield probably wouldn't work out well for the Seahawks. You'd still have to have a pretty rosy view of the roster, which I was willing to have, but <laughs> you'd still have to have a pretty rosy view of the roster to even think that they would be a competitor with Baker Mayfield. But like, I, I just, his value is, it is sub backup quarterbacks to most teams in the league. I mean, as many people pointed out, they gave up more to trade up for Matt Corral than they did for Baker Mayfield. Who has also started Matt, a playoff? Matt Corral game. was last year, right? No, it was this year. He was in that this was, draft. So in in the year that nobody wanted to draft quarterbacks, they still gave up more to move up and get Matt Corral. When the Panthers could have had a quarterback at any time, basically. I mean, they did. They got him. They got him. And who was talked about as a first round pick, and they got him in the fourth round. So, I'm kind. Of, I'm like weirdly on like cheering for the Baker Revenge Tour. I'm into it. What did the what did the Titans did they trade for Tannehill? I believe they did trade for Tannehill, yes. But the price would have been higher than that, if I recall correctly. It was more just like kind of cheering for the idea of quarterbacks who've fallen out for maybe not proper reasons. Uh, Tannehill in a sixth for a fourth and a seventh. So I guess it wasn't that much more. It was pretty similar, in fact. Yeah. I bet the Dolphins wish that they had Tannehill. Or maybe not. Who knows? <laughs> I think teams are very bad at assessing the value of Ryan Tannehill also. Teams might just be bad at assessing quarterbacks. On that note. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Somebody's breaking into Kevin's hotel room right now. I think he's getting kicked out. <laughs> it's a little dark.
Something's happening. Did he order food to the room? All right, Kevin's coming back. Oh, oh, it was a bag of ice. It was a bag of ice that he ordered. Okay. Did you ask for that bag of bag of ice or did they just bring it to you? This hotel is much too fancy. Did they just bring you the bag of ice? They they asked me if I wanted turn down service. Well, I'm not really sure what turn down service is. Again, this hotel is much too fancy for me. I wish I could tell you what turn down service was. <laughs> okay, turn down for what? No. No, no. <laughs> if they would just come in and turn down the bed linen of the bed in the room, preparing the bed for use. I think you got I can, that on your own. Yeah, there. I can handle the bed. I'm, good, I'm experienced with that one. Handle the bed. <laughs> oh, You're leaving this in the podcast, right? <laughs> it's going to go at the end. Okay. <laughs> can you keep the part where I was narrating what was going on? I should have been, I couldn't really tell what was happening. <laughs> I, see, I also see no way to I don't, show a do not disturb here, which is kind of confusing. You just well. always, you, you never want to be disturbed. That's I, there. I like when I check into a hotel room and put that do not disturb on at the beginning and leave it there the whole time. He said, do not want to be woken up. I just, any time in my life, I don't want to be disturbed. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? How about you never disturb me? <laughs> I'm actually probably up there with the most fine of being disturbed, to be honest. I just do- You're way less interested in being disturbed than I am. You know how much I hate being woken up. <laughs> that was a big point of contention back in our childhood. Was it? You not? You didn't like being woken up? No. You're so much like Luca. <laughs> yes, yes, I am. 